I have been gone for three Sundays. And it went so well without me that I think the next time I'm going to make it four. I uh, just really appreciate what God has done in our midst. I mean, we have so many capable ministers that can step up and, and share the word. Um, even, even the youngest, as a babe in Christ, uh, it says that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings can come forth wisdom. In fact, I'm going to share a few with you. I was just uh, with my grandson. Nancy and I were down in Houston, Texas for Thanksgiving. And a couple of the things he said, you know, out of the mouths of babes. I, I just love little children and, and what they say. They say the most interesting things. But we're putting uh, Bennett to uh, his nap time. And you know how kids can always find another excuse. I need, I'm thirsty, I, I gotta go, uh, you, you know. Um, he says, um, got him down, left the room, and he says, Grandpa, Grandpa. And I go up, and he goes, hi, Mark. <laughs> he had heard Nancy call me Mark, and now all of a sudden he's like, hi, Mark. I said, what do you want, Bennett? He says, I want my Bible. I, I want to sleep with my Bible. And I said, okay, it's dark in here. He says, yeah, but I don't want to forget who Jesus is while I'm asleep. Yeah. And I love that. You know, Jesus is on his mind. It's in his heart already at three and a half. We were putting a puzzle together. It's a, it's a train setting and uh, there's a train station and there's these restaurants and cafes and one of them said pizza above it. And it showed a man with a kind of long hair and a beard eating pizza. And he goes, look grandpa, Jesus is eating pizza. <laughs> so at a young age, he's seeing Jesus everywhere. And I was pretty excited about that. Uh, one, one more thing that happened that really stood out to me in Houston was uh, uh, our son-in-law, Dave, was up at the university for the whole week, uh, the second week we were there. Uh, he had to take uh, some kind of specialized classes. So he was up uh, out of town, so they were just down to their one car, and one day Nikki said that she wanted me to take her to work so that we'd have a vehicle. Um, and on the way back, uh, I mean, when in Houston, for me, this is, you eat donuts. Yeah. I mean, we just don't have good donuts in Alaska. There's a couple of places that try hard, but they don't come close to donuts in the South. There's something about the dough rises differently, you know? So I see this Shipley's Donuts. And I found this white frosting one with walnuts on it. You just got to have it, all right? And uh, so I, I pull in, I get these donuts, and I get a pink one for Bennett and, and uh, an eclair for Nancy. And I'm getting ready to head back. And as I'm starting to back out, this car backs in, and this lady's looking at me. She just keeps looking at me. And I, I'm like, what? what am I missing, you know? And I'm starting to back out. And she gets out of her car with her friend on the other side and she starts waving at me like this. And I'm like, and she has some papers in her hands. And she's like, roll down your window. 
And I'm like, uh, Jehovah Witness? I don't know. And uh, she says, I know you. And I go, oh? She said, I met you on a cruise in, in uh, Italy last year. And I'm like, hmm. And she says, you were with your two grandsons. And I go, okay, this is real, you know. She remembered me, you know. She said, you were so nice to my husband and I. And I, I was surprised, because I didn't think I was nice to anybody on that cruise. <laughs> but uh, she said, one of the things that stood out to me, she said, you told me that you had uh, a daughter and son-in-law in Houston. And she says, and here you are. And I'm like, how random is that? And, and then she says, Lordy, Lordy. <laughs> I'm telling you her words. Lordy, Lordy, isn't God just full of miracles? <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, that's nice to be a miracle. I went straight from there to Kroger's parking lot in which a lady walked up to me and said, you're a jerk. <laughs> Went from a real high to a real low. I wasn't sure what I did, but I said, oh man, what, I, I'm really sorry. Did I, did I do something? You're just a jerk. And I think what it was, was I probably was navigating the parking lot and, you know, probably cut her off. I don't know. But I, I apologized and I thought that would be the end of it. And as I was walking towards the store, I heard her say, jerk. <laughs> So, apology accepted. <laughs> Last time I spoke was just before Thanksgiving. I was talking about being thankful and also talking about choosing the words we speak. Uh, everybody likes a good meal. Well, the Bible's very clear that we will be eating down the road, we will be eating the meal that we're speaking today. In other words, it says a man uh, partakes of the fruit of his lips. So if you're speaking the word of God and the promises of God and the values of God and the goodness of God and the mercies of God, you'll receive mercies and goodness will follow you all the days of your life. If you're speaking disappointment, discouragement, you know, just that kind of stuff, you'll be discouraged, you'll be disappointed, you'll be unhappy, and life will be a bummer. So those were the things I was speaking on. I kind of want to continue with that a little bit different, but the same vein of thought, I want you to keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, I also want to give just a, a minute or so of a tribute this morning to Reinhard Bonnke. Many of you know who Reinhard Bonnke was, powerful evangelist all of his life, just huge evangelistic campaigns, a lot of miracles done through his ministry, uh, through God. Um, and I want to give just a few of his sayings that I, that I like. Yeah. I like this one, God always works with workers and always moves with movers, but he doesn't sit with sitters. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. 
If you're wondering why isn't God moving in your life and you're just sitting there, that's why. Another one is the gospel is good news, not good history. Because when it's preached, it happens. Another one, I don't want to play with marbles when God has called me to move mountains. This is one of my favorites. I read it in a book of his some years back. It was a testimony about a woman that came to him and just said, man, I'm just being harassed by evil spirits. They're just harassing my mind. They're harassing my family. Just I'm being harassed by spirits. And his answer to her was, flies will only land on a cold stove. You figure that one out. If you're being harassed, get into prayer. The Bible tells us the white hot prayer, the fervent prayer of the righteous will accomplish a lot. So this morning, I wanna share about Slaying giants. How many here see themselves as giant slayers? Yeah. What's the giants that you face? Trials, fears, sickness, broken spirit. I'm going to name seven giants that I think people face. Insecurity. Approval of others. Blaming. Self-pity. Lazy thinking, fear, and selfishness. I was thinking of this selfishness. The rest all kind of came easy to to put scripture to and stuff. And selfishness is too, but uh, as I was coming to the end, I was kind of like drawing a blank. It was a busy week for me, and I was like, "I, I need to finish this, God. And I thought, what do I say about self? And suddenly it came to me. We've all heard of Elf on a Shelf? Well, let's put Self on a Shelf. So, and then not go find him. I want to talk about one of the first ones as far as, what was the first one? Anybody remember? You take notes. Insecurity. Insecurity. In Numbers 13:33 talks about a situation. And they said of their situation, they were going into the promised land. They were sent forth as spies into the promised land. Yeah. Go ahead and turn there. We turn the lights on so you can look at your Bibles. Um, 
And what they came away with when they went into the land, it says, we saw the Nephilim there. Now, how many here know what the Nephilim were? Yeah, it doesn't get preached a lot on Sundays. Um, And it says, we were grasshoppers in our own sight and in theirs as well. There were giants in the land and we were but grasshoppers in our own sight and in theirs as well. Now, it's one thing to be a grasshopper in the sight of somebody else, that's their problem. But when you're a grasshopper in your own sight, that's your problem. But God's word has an answer for that. God's word has an answer for insecurity. In my experience over the years of pastoring, I think one of the most prevalent giants, one of the more crippling giants, is blame shifting, blaming others. Blaming others for our outward circumstances and for our own failures. We blame others for the way we feel. We blame others for, and it's not a new thing. Blaming started way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. Blaming started way back there when Adam and Eve fell and were disobedient to God. And when God came to them and said, uh, hey, what's going on, guys? That's paraphrased. He says, what's going on? Eve said this. Well, the devil made me do it. She blame shifted. So he went to Adam, he said, and what did you do about it, Adam? He says, I love this one. Guys, listen up. And wives, listen up so you can point it out to your guys later. The guy said, to God, the woman you gave me made me do this. That's my personal preference one. I I love that one. When things go wrong in my, my house, I'll say that to Nancy once in a while. You know, we get a, a laugh out of it because we know the realities of it. Yeah. I'll say, well, God, this woman you gave me. <laughs> Blaming others for our circumstances and our own failures. Yeah. Making others responsible for our own personal happiness. Why aren't I happy? I'm not happy because my wife isn't doing all that I think she should be doing. That's blame shifting, folks. I'm not happy because my husband doesn't appreciate me and show his appreciation the way he should. That's blame shifting. Things aren't right in my life. I I wasn't dealt a good hand in life. I was helping a pastor many years back, and I remember he was just so frustrated. I mean, just eaten up with frustration. He's saying, I... He said, you don't understand this because you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And I'm like, anyway, he says, but I was dealt a bad hand in life. And that's why my church isn't working out. That's why I don't have the quality. These were his words. That's why I don't have the quality of people around me that you have around you. And I remember going, I'd love to have your people. 
Yeah, send them on over. You can come with them too. But blame fixing, the fixing the blame on something else will never allow you to become who God has called you to be. The result of blame fixing is ultimately destructive. It's a destroyer. It destroys relationships. Uh, many marriages are under in trouble because they blame shift. Here's what I do. Now, you guys all know Nancy, so you realize that she's like a lot. You know, I, I should never find any fault with her, right? But I do. There'll be times where I'm frustrated in life and I think if she was different or if she would go on vacation or if, you know, things would improve, I would, you know, my circumstances would change. And what I've learned is to face the thing, like I shared about our, our tithes and offerings, I looked at the I looked at the the, the the ties and offerings and I went, what our answer to this is the opposite of what my mind tells me to do. Yeah. The opposite of what my mind tells me to do. Because the word of God is almost always the opposite of what my carnal nature tells me. So I look at my wife. And I usually say, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I don't know how I could live without you. And she usually responds by saying, you'd find somebody in 20 minutes. <laughs> she says, you talk to everyone. You'd just find somebody that'd talk to you. I said, well, you know what? If I needed that is, is all I needed is a fix. We just had this conversation, it's funny. Uh, I said, I'd just go buy groceries. That's enough talking right there. Hi, how are you? Great, good to see you. Nice, you know, thanks for checking out my groceries. I'm done. But I do the opposite of what my feelings tell me to do. That's so important. We're going to get into this a little bit. I want to develop it a little bit. Do the opposite of what your feelings tell you to do. Do what the Word of God says. You know, guys, if you're not yet practiced at being inventive, go to the Word of God, learn the Word of God, get out the, the uh, Song of Solomon and start reading that to your wife. I've shared this many times before. Start reading it to your wives. Your, your teeth are like the sheep on the mountains. They love that. It's very romantic. When I'm having troubles with a brother or sister at church, I'm just feeling like, yeah, they, they don't, they're upset with me. They don't, you know, whatever's happening, there's a tension there. I usually go, thank you, God, for bringing this person into my life because you have them there for a reason, because I need them. 
I cannot tell you how, all you got to do is get on any, like even the Matsu Valley News. You know, I get the Vatsu, Matsu Valley News on the, on the internet. Somebody says something and then somebody else gets on and they all got to say something. You know, and I was reading this one, I don't even know how it came to this, but this person immediately says, well, the church doesn't do anything for me. I've gotten over that a long time ago. I don't need the church. I don't need this. I don't need that. You know, the church failed me. My pastor failed me. My pastor's wife failed me. She's not what I think a pastor's wife should be. Um, you know, a lot of times the Christians in the church will do that, by the way. They know it's kind of wrong to find fault with the pastor because God says so. says don't speak against authority so they say well I can't really get away with that I know I'll find fault with his wife so that it happens it really does happen listen I'm gonna help you all out there's nothing about my wife you can find fault with that I haven't already found And there's nothing that you can find fault about me over that Richard Stoffel hasn't already told me about. Richard Stoffel and I, over the years, have gone over our faults. And we have narrowed it down. We don't have a lot of faults like most Christians. We only have about two or three. But they're really big. But the result of blame fixing is destructive. If people wrong you, it does not control the outcome of your life. If they wronged you, it was their choice. And make a problem for themselves that they've created. But that wrong even in the moment if it seems to succeed, ultimately cannot come between you and God and God's promises for your life. Okay? Ready to move on? Everybody with me? They cannot stop God from blessing you unless you allow them by falling into the habit of blame fixing yourself. It's, the, 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 it's them. They're the reason that I'm having a tough time. They're the reason my circumstances, they're the reason I'm not happy. They're the reason. But the Word of God has specific promises for every person. And the fulfillment of those promises are based on our attitudes and on our faith. See, faith, when I use the word faith there, faith always has actions. So our attitudes and our actions will always bring about the promise of God. We'll use an example out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. Many of you are familiar with it. one of my favorites I saw recently a little clip 
of a, of a movie of David and Goliath. I think it, Hollywood, no matter how hard they might try, they can never get it right when it comes to faith and the power of God's word. And in this, this one, you know, David goes out, he goes to visit his brothers that are on the battle line. And there's the, the valley between the two mountains, the two hills, and Goliath's out there defying the armies of God. And he's, he comes up and he says, this shouldn't, this is not right. We're the people of God. It's not right that he defies the armies of God. So anyway, through this little movie presentation, he goes out and he's so nervous. He finally gets a stone and he drops it. Anybody see this particular one? This, this one? And he gets another one and he, he gets it in the sling and he, he misses. He gets another one and, and he finally hits Goliath, sinks it in his head, down he goes, and he's shocked. And he doesn't know what to do. Finally, he goes up and he gets Goliath's sword. I mean, they tried to keep it scriptural. What they missed was the actual. I don't think David was like that at all. I think this David who had said, I faced the lion and I faced the bear and when they took a sheep, I chased it down, I grabbed it by the beard and I clubbed it. I don't think he was at all looking at Goliath and going. In fact, he was a very prophetic act. Goliath was one of the sons of Gath come out of the Nephilim, still from the giants that were in the land. And there were, Goliath had brothers David chose five, it says, five smooth stones, a prophetic act, saying, all of you will be gone in my administration. Yeah. Powerful word there, powerful um, step of faith. Yeah. And of course, Goliath tried to intimidate, tried to work on him in these areas. I think this visually covers every one of these. Giants, insecurity, yeah. approval of others. Yeah. You want to go out, David? All right, here, here's some armor for you. Try it on. David tried on the armor that was given him, said, I have not proven these. I cannot work in this. I'm going to go out in what I have proven. You see, you go out with what God's given you. You don't wait. Many of us go, well, I, I don't know how to share the gospel. I, I just don't know how. Don't. I'm telling you, don't share the gospel. Don't go up to somebody. I was thinking of this on the plane, flying back. This poor guy, he was seated over here. My wife and I always get window and aisle and hope nobody's in between us. And if they are, we ask if they're willing to shift. So I said, would you be willing to change seats to either the aisle or the window? He said, well, I'd love the aisle. So I get to sandwich in the middle, you know. But he had already been asked to move to that seat from somebody else. So he kind of chuckled about that. But the whole trip, he was one of those nervous flyers. His leg was just going like that. And I thought, this guy's really nervous. 
you know, buddy, no matter how nervous you get, if this plane fails, it isn't going to do you any good. I, I didn't share that with him. But I thought, what, what, can I, what can I do for an icebreaker here? So we just chatted a little bit. And I never asked somebody, are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord? Are you saved? Have you followed the four, spirit, four spiritual uh, laws? You know what I do? I say, you know, my life really changed after I received Jesus. It really made a big difference in my life. I give a little bit of my testimony about how Jesus affected me rather than telling somebody, you know, I got preached too many times like probably many of you did before you became a Christian. Uh, we used to literally, we would see the people coming on the beach where I grew up surfing. You'd see them coming, the, 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 the Jesus people from uh, uh, Calvary Chapel down there all the time. They'd, you'd see them, and you knew it was them because they always carrying a big cross. Yeah. And, and then they'd, they'd preach at you, and we would see that and paddle out. But in many different ways I got preached to. One of my favorites I call hot dog doctrine. How many are familiar with hot dog doctrine? Turn or burn? You're going to burn in hell if you don't give your life to Jesus. See, that's a good one to share with the guy sitting next to you on the plane. That's a, that's a good conversation starter. It didn't work with me. People would come up and tell me, you're going to hell if you don't receive Jesus. And I'm like, I was rebellious. I, I, I was like, well, all my friends are going to be there anyway, so... You know, and in heaven there ain't no beer. That's why we drink it here. I had all the answers. Boy, I got off on that. I don't know where I'm at. But all of these can be found in this one story about David and Goliath, insecurity approval of others, his brothers disapproved of him. and said, go back, go back and take care of the sheep. That's what you're good at. Pity, lazy thinking. He did not fall into lazy thinking. Lazy thinking is the thought life is one of the most powerful gifts God has given to you. So much that the Bible tells us that we become what we continually think about. Yeah. We should train our thoughts to be governed by God and by his word. Amen. Fear. The spirit of God created in us one of power in our, in our spirits, a power, love, and of a sound mind. So here's David. I believe he faced every one of those giants just walking up to Goliath. He had to face fear. He had to face insecurity. He had to face the fear of man, acceptance, approval of men. And he didn't, and then he didn't use his reasoning. I love the idea of what we would do today. 
Goliath, why are you doing this? Don't you understand about bullying? Really, we should talk this over. I mean, look what you're doing. And Goliath tried to intimidate him and saying, what am I, a dog that you send uh, out this kid? Worse than a dog. He ended up a dead dog. But David took the word of God. You've got to understand there's a scripture in here for every giant you face. Now, you've got to find that scripture. You've got to track it down. It's in there. Uh, and then you've got to begin to speak it. You've got to begin to speak it in your circumstances, in the face of those circumstances. You've got to speak it. You got to speak. I, I was. I got to hurry because my grandson has a his first program ever, and I don't want to miss his two minutes of glory. <laughs> and, um, but we've got to speak the word of God into our circumstances, not our feelings, not our psychological reasonings. But the word of God, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides, it cuts asunder, it brings life. This word, he says, God says, I put before you life and death in Deuteronomy. Choose life. Well, the way to choose life is by speaking words that are alive. It's, it's in here. Let me give it to you real fast. I've got to sum this up. <clears throat> Insecurity, Philippians 4.13, write that down, type it in, whatever you're going to do. Approval of others, Proverbs 29.25. Blaming, Deuteronomy 30.19. Pity, 1 Thessalonians, just start there. Give thanks in all things and all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Lazy thinking. Think on these things. Is that in Philippians, Bob? It is. Think on these things. Fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, given us over to us, given a, us over to a spirit of fear, but one of a sound mind of love and power. And selfishness. Obviously, God says that we should die to ourselves daily. Jesus tells us that. But I'm going to leave you with, during this season, put self on a shelf. God has... What do I do with selfishness? And I'm going to close with this. I've got 30 seconds. He is Jehovah M. Kadesh. That's one of his names. God is known by many names. Jehovah, Sidkenu, our righteousness. He's our righteousness. Jehovah M. Kadesh. He's our sanctification. Sanctification means that he's taken you as a vessel. 
and he's cleansed you and made you a vessel for righteousness. So, use that. You are, I, I use that. You are Jehovah and Kadesh. You are my sanctification. You have set me apart for works of righteousness. And you know when I say that the most? When I'm not acting righteous. When I'm not acting right. When my attitude stinks. That's when I use it. I don't use it when I'm already like, oh, you know, I'm doing good. It's when I'm not doing well. When circumstances are not what they should be. Activate your faith. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to close with a song. Next Sunday, we'll have a, a Christmas message. I want us, before we go too much further, I want us to pray for our brother and sister Jason and Karen. They're going to be ministering in uh, Valdez. And uh, so can we have a word of prayer over them? I have really, in a short amount of time, you know, I've heard their names over the years, and there's been a little bit of contact, but in just a short amount of time, I went, wow, I really wished I would have known these folks for the last 30 years, you know, so. <laughs> anyway, come up here. We want to pray for you. Everybody wants to look at you. Will you pray with me?